Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of It's Personal. On today's episode, we have two special guests. One special guest that will be helping me conduct the conversation, and another guest that has taken the educational world by storm. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, what's up, y'all? My name is Gary, and welcome to the second season of It's Personal. Okay, good. This is going to be really dope, but I don't want any <laughs> Putting yourself out there as practitioners who are growing and learning. Not at all. My name is Kwame Mbalia. I'm an author. I'm Padma Venkatraman, the author of The Bridge Home. Sure, yeah. My name is Natasha Diaz. Code switching and all those things. I mean, all of that. All the time. to another episode of It's Personal. This is the second season, and I am extremely excited. Um, could you introduce yourself? <laughs> sure. Hi, everyone. <laughs> My name is Pernille Riff, and I'm a teacher and an author and a mom. Uh, and I'm teaching in Madison, Wisconsin, or more precisely in Oregon, Wisconsin, but I'm originally from Denmark. Not quite sure how I ended up becoming a teacher in the American public school system, but it has been a journey and uh yeah i like to share about my practices oh and i created the global read aloud too so, yeah. there you go yeah. that's it yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so Peniel, honestly just to start one of the things that i'm probably most curious about a lot of the guests that are on the show is just um what is your like background what did your childhood look like um uh, i never wanted to be a teacher <laughs> I came from a long line of teachers, uh, my mom included, and that was not the pursuit of my dream. I was going to be a marine biologist because I really loved sharks, but I don't like the ocean, so that became a problem really quickly. Um, but I just, I, I think I was your average kid, right? Your average kid trying to figure it out, trying to figure out relationships. Um, I grew up feeling really lonely as a child and um, we moved a lot. My mom had huge dreams and got a lot of scholarships and would move us between Denmark and America um, when we finally settled in America for the third time when I was 18 it was kind of like here's this new culture and now you have to stay with it and I was pretty lost I knew I wanted to go to school but I didn't know what I wanted to do and uh, I got accepted into UW-Madison and dropped out after I think two months of barely showing up for classes because I felt no connection to what we were doing and had no idea what I wanted to do and then just started working and and dabbled around in that and it wasn't until I met my husband or who became my husband and he sat me down one night and was like what are you going to do with your life I was like what do you mean this is great I'm bartending like this is fantastic and he was like no seriously like what are you going to do with your life and I was like personal 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 should go back to school and there was this idea of, of becoming a teacher because I'd had such a not great experience myself when I um, moved back from learning English I, so I was taught English in, in San Francisco when I was six and in, in a school in inner city San Francisco because of my mom's Fulbright scholarship and 
after I moved back, I moved back to my old house and my old friend and my old teacher in Denmark, you stay with the same teacher for years. And she didn't like me and she made it really, really clear. Um, I was constantly the one that was uh, blamed for anything that went wrong in the classroom. She tried to separate friends from me. She called my best friend's mom and told her that she shouldn't allow her daughter to, to spend any time with me. You know, just really vicious attacks on a kid from a, an authority person. And yet I still like craved her love and tried to get her to like me. And finally, when I was 10 years old, my mom pulled me from that school. And that experience of feeling so unwanted within a safe place was something that stuck with me for a really long time. And so when I realized that I wanted to be a teacher, that's what I came back to. That was my role model for teachers as far as what you never should do that I never wanted to be a teacher that made a kid feel like they didn't belong and that they had no value in the classroom that they were a part of. And so once I discovered that, well, then the path was just, you know, put my head down and let's get it done. But unfortunately in America, going to school is not very attainable for a lot of people. And so it was the long path of working full time and going to school and going to my local technical college and and getting all of that and yet um, I've gotten to be a teacher now for 12 years and it has been the biggest honor of my life you know every day we're handed these children and their hopes and their dreams and and we're just supposed to make it somehow a good experience and a safe experience for them and so for me I wouldn't want to do anything else I think um, my seventh graders that I get to teach now keep me honest and they inspire me to be so much more. And when we think about the world and how dark it can seem, I walk into my classroom and I find so much hope. You know, these kids with their anger and, and with their passion and with their and with their futures laid out in front of them, like that's what gives me hope every day. But I share that story with my students and I tell them like, this is why I need you to be honest with me because I don't want to be a teacher that made you hate school. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and that's really important and that's why I think a lot of that comes back to that 10 year old Pernille trying to, to fit in and trying to create an environment where maybe she would have had a chance and, would have, and could have stayed at that school rather than getting moved one more time. Wow. And especially when you said like an adult making a child feel this way in a space that is supposed to be safe. Like, yeah, that, that is a right. It is and I think we forget that. I, I think we often as adults don't see how incredibly crushing our actions can be to kids and especially like our throwaway actions our quick little you know comments or sarcastic jokes or how we group kids or the opportunities that we provide for kids how it just chips away at children and 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 how dare we like we are supposed to be the adults we are supposed to be the ones that create a safe space for every single child that walks into our room even if they don't fit our ideal of what a student is and I think about that and I think about it when I screw up because of course we're bound to screw up and how I can make that better. You said you were 10 years old. Like, it doesn't matter how old they are. If there's a moment where kids have been influenced in a certain way, whether it's positive or negative, they're going to remember it. That's heartbreaking to hear something like that. Um, but at the same time, seeing that it's been able to influence you um, in this positive way is really, really cool and inspiring. Because revenge, right? Yeah. Revenge. yeah. I'm going to go out and be a teacher, and I'm going to prove to you that you can actually be a good teacher and love all kids, or at least go down and try it, right? Mm -hmm. I love that. You said <laughs> you were 18. Did you say you were 18 when you settled in America? Yeah, that's when we immigrated. 
So my mom, uh, my mom got a job at UW Madison, and uh, I had just graduated, and and it was kind of this idea of like, well, what do you want to do with your life? And I didn't really know. And she said, well, come for a year, and and uh, if you don't like it, I'll buy your return ticket. And so of course I came for a year and met a boy and <laughs> stuck around. But that boy introduced me to a much better boy. Thank God. Um, uh, and he became my husband and so our life has been here you know for the past now 21 years and mm -hmm. but uh, we've talked a lot about how when you leave a culture uh, in that sense I feel very homeless I've talked about that with with, with on my blog too of, of you know I don't feel like I'm 100% Danish and even though I've lived in America longer than I have in Denmark I don't feel like I'm 100% American and so where is home and how do we define home and and, and how do we find our roots again? And I think that greatly influences the work I do as well as far as trying to seek out connections and, and trying to create community um, in case others feel that same, I don't know, sense of, of not quite fitting in, um, mm -hmm. especially because you might have different cultural values that have just been ingrained from you, but now you're in a different society. And I know as international teachers, I'm sure you, you navigate that all of the time as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, like as international teachers, because in a way, you know, our students are so sheltered and don't experience some of the things that students in the States might be experiencing. But then there's also this, I don't know, they're sheltered, so sometimes they don't understand their privilege. And so like, how do we do the other ends of things too? How do we help them to uncover that privilege and what they might do with that privilege? And also sort of help them to see like there will be points when you're not going to be in the safe bubble and you are not going to look like everyone around you. And what does that mean? And, you know, those are hard moments for them because mm -hmm. they're, they're kind of used to being, mm -hmm. you know, in a certain hierarchy and someone saying to them, but you're not always going to be in that place on that hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, how do we manage those moments? Mm -hmm. Prunia, you talked a lot about your mom. And I think especially with, um, I know Narin has mentioned a lot of stuff about that, what you post, um, not just through like your Twitter handle, but what you do on like your blog is about motherhood and, um, and, edu and education, of course. Um, <laughs> but we are wondering, and a lot of people are wondering, like, how do you do it? Because we have seen you online vouching for, specifically your daughter online, just based on some of the stuff she had gone through through school. Um, What's her name? Taya Theodora. Yeah. Yeah. And I, very um, specifically, um, just through bullying um, and the experiences that she had gone through. Can you talk us through a little bit about the coaching behind that? Because I know as, a, as an educator, like that's what we're constantly doing in the classroom with kids. There's a difference I'm feeling when they're yours, like actually yours. So I'm wondering what is that coaching look, what did that coaching look like? It's overwhelming um, because we, as educators, we've had the training. We know what to say. We know how to navigate it. We know to hopefully make it stop. But when it doesn't stop and that training fails, and it's your own child sitting at home wondering what the day is going to bring, begging you to not send them to school. You feel incredibly powerless and you feel angry. And, and that was something that we worked through, uh, my husband and I, of that anger. You just wanted to show up and 
and and start yelling and 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 you know and shake the system and say well, how are you not protecting my child why is this repeating itself and then also having to navigate your own children changing in front of you and and seeing their sense of safety be taken away from them and feeling like all of the parental tools that you have to fight the system are also failing you. And yet when there's this whole guilt of being an educator because you don't want to slam the doors too loudly and you don't want to be too forceful and you don't want to be that parent because we've all had one of those parents that we brought home with us to the dinner conversation and, and we're like, and then they did this. and, and But at some point we realized that what we were doing politely was not enough and that it wasn't that the school didn't want to listen to us it was that we needed to shout louder because they could hear us through all of the other things that were going on in a school on a regular basis and i think when it becomes your own child it's hard to see anything else and and you want to say like oh i get that you have other things going on but here is what's happening to my child and it is and it is destroying a lot of things that we have spent a long time building up, such as school is a safe place, school is a place that is good for me. And so that was really hard to navigate. And I think the biggest thing that we learned from the experience is to shout loudly and do it very quickly. And of course, to document everything. And we were lucky to have a school that cares a lot and that partnered with us to try to stop it, but that also we're kind of dumbfounded at the actions that were taking place because the consequences that were playing out when Taya was being targeted weren't making any difference. And I think that reflects a lot of the hopelessness we sometimes, and helplessness we sometimes feel in school, right? We see the problem, we want to change it, so we implement certain things, but then nothing changes. And then it's kind of like, now what? And I think often teachers and schools, the school system is seen as this miracle worker that we're supposed to be able to solve everything, but sometimes we can't. And that's really hard to stomach because we're supposed to be able to fix a situation. We're supposed to be able to come up with a new idea that's going to be the magic switch, right? And with a situation, there wasn't a magic fix. It was a long, drawn-out, year-long process, you know, that we still dealt with in fourth grade. This, so all of her bullying happened in third grade, and that there are still remnants of now in fifth grade. But I went public with it because Tia allowed me to share her story, and also because I wanted to show the real face of bullying. And even though you raised your kids to be strong and independent and to speak up, that that sometimes doesn't make a difference and in fact sometimes that makes them more of you know a, an easier target mm -hmm. and so we we still are navigating it and school is still not a hundred percent back to normal for her and i think that's also something that we forget in education that we're so quick to fix the immediate that we don't think about the long-term ramifications and i think a lot about that when we think about how racism plays out in school and microaggressions and kids who are not in an active bullying situation, but where school is not safe because of all of the systems that are in place um, and how we often don't look at the trauma that that's inflicting on the kids. And I remember sitting while Taya was going through all of this, kind of at the end of it, we were sitting through a training at my school about how trauma inflicts the brain and how it changes the brain. And as they're showing us slides, I had that moment of like, that's 
what happened? That's my kid. That's her brain up there. And that was really hard. That was like, that was like, okay, this, this has now been a long-term thing. This is not just something that we can laugh off and say, oh, remember back when, um, that we now have, have to navigate um, parenting in a different way. I want to go back to just like your mom for a second because I could hear a lot of influence. I'm assuming now or um, when you were in your uh, younger years, how, did, how has she influenced you to either be the way that you are, uh, maybe how you, as yeah, as a mom, I think, maybe even as an educator, because I, I can hear and I could see the care in your voice for your kids and for your mom. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, so my mom was a single mom, but you know, when I was born, she left my dad uh, when I was six months old by choice. He, he wasn't a good father for us and she wanted more. And I think of uh, the courage it must take to stand with three little kids yeah. uh, as, a, as a teacher and move six hours away from the life that you're used to. And yet that never stood in my mom's way, my mom has always been someone who has pursued her own dreams while also being an, an incredibly present mom and, and, and also wanting to find a way that even though we didn't have a lot of money growing up, like wanting, a, wanting us to feel like the world was truly something that was accessible to us in a playground and, and wanting to take us out into the world and would work extra jobs so that we could travel, whether it was, you know, get in the car and go somewhere else or just see the world. And, uh, and I think she's someone who has taught me that when you raise your voice, you're going to get knocked down, but that doesn't mean you stay down. Yeah. And, uh, and she has been a pioneer as far as within her field. So she's a, she's a university professor and, and has always been a very strong feminist and a strong human rights and, and has been, um, you know, a role model of what it means to constantly reflect and, and, and invent and reinvent your teaching and to never settle. You know, my mom's been teaching for more than 40 years now and she's still wow. going strong and, and still finds a lot of passion in what she does. And so for me, that's always been something in the back of my head of like, how, how can I make my mom proud? And she tells me that she's very proud of me but also how can I be as strong as my mom has been? And my mom has also been a role model of like what healthy relationships looks like and what it means to have not unconditional love, because I think unconditional love is, can be really misused, but have a love that, that permeates everything, but that also means that we're honest with each other and that we show our love and that we also hold each other accountable. And I think that that directly <laughs> plays off in my classroom. <laughs> I tell, I tell my students, like, I love being your teacher. I love you. And they're like, that's weird, Mrs. Rip. And I'm like, well, I don't mean it in a weird way. Like, I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of your life. But I'm also going to be 100% honest with you in a nice way. So, like, if we're writing and what you're writing is not that great, what would you rather hear? You know, constructive editing so that we can make it better? Or do you want me just to sit there and be like, oh, it's okay when it's not? And so they, they get a kick out of that, but that's also relationship based, right? You can't just like do that right away. So I think about that, that my mom, who's turning 70 next year, wow. is still blazing a trail, you know, and it's still fighting for what she believes in and, and raised me to be a strong, independent, smart woman 
who didn't find weakness in having a strong relationship and a strong marriage because she ended up marrying my stepdad when I was seven, right? And I think that that's been really integral and in in the way that we parent and in the way that I teach and and just in the way that I care about my marriage. So yeah, a lot of that is traced to my mom. She's the glue that holds us us, us all together for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So then how did Kai? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How did you go from like, okay, teacher, four girls, challenging already in all of that to like, okay, but I want to do more. I want to be blogging. I want to be writing. I want to start something. How does that happen? Is it in you? Is it coming from external? Yeah, no, um, I was a terrible teacher, which I think most of us are starting out. And not like terrible, right? Like if you'd walked in, you wouldn't have been like, oh my God, get her out. But it, on the surface, right? It looks like I knew what I was doing, but inside there was a lot of turmoil and inside there was a lot of this is not what I planned. This is not what I dreamed about. This is not all those lovely fictitious lesson plans that I wrote. (laughs) This is not it. And uh, after two years of kind of going through the motions, I I had decided that I was going to quit teaching because I was crushing the dreams of nine-year-olds as a fourth grade teacher. Hey, what's up, everyone? I hope you enjoyed part one of this two-part series with Perneal Rip and my wife. I want you to tune back in tomorrow for the second part of this series where Perneal talks more about family, education, and just life in general. I want you to remember to stay kind, stay blessed, peace.